Welcome to Behind the Standards with United Rentals. This is the podcast where we discuss construction safety, typically trench excavation and confined space safety, but also other topics that deal with general job site safety as well. I am Rick Plosinski, Customer Training Specialist, and with me are Chris Matone and Daryl Peters. Chris, please give the listeners a brief introduction. So, hey, thanks, Rick. I'm the uh, district manager for United Rentals Trench Safety in the Northwest, and that encompasses nine branches in the area, covers Oregon, Washington, Idaho, most of Montana, then Western Canada, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Thank you, Chris. And Daryl? Thank you, uh, Daryl Peters uh, from Branch E98 in Edmonton, Alberta. My area responsible for is going to be uh, basically northern Alberta, all of Saskatchewan into northern BC. Thank you. So our conversation will hopefully be informative and educational so that we can help you avoid injuries and fatalities while on the job site and maybe be just a little bit entertaining. Now, today we want to discuss trench and confined space safety in the United States and Canada. There are a lot of similarities between the two countries' approach to safety, but there are also a lot of differences as well. And Chris, when we're talking about OHS in Canada versus OSHA in the United States, what do you see as the main differences in their approach to safety regulation? From the United States standard, I would say that OSHA has a more encompassing regulatory firm over the United States, meaning that OSHA is pretty much dictating what's happening everywhere. There are some specific instances where, for example, Washington State, they require uh, shielding and shoring in an excavation that is four feet deep, when the typical OSHA standard around the United States is five feet. But OSHA just seems to be the the benchmark, whereas they're dictating everything with a a one-off or every now and then, whereas Canada seems to be a little bit more one-off scenarios. For up, up in Canada, what we run into is we have what I like to say a layered system. So we're basically, you know, we're encompassed by Canada as a whole, and then you get into the provincial OHS standards, and uh, which applies to each province, of course, and then site-specific standards, which in, in most cases will allow for the, you know, the primary stakeholder or the subcontractor or contractor. Uh, to align it to have more of a enhanced safety so uh, they can take it and basically put more behind it so it's more relevant for the type of work that they're doing. So, Daryl, does each province set up their own standards for their individual province, or is it completely different from United States where they set a benchmark and then you can either meet or exceed those standards? So each province uh, creates their own, uh, and with that, they they will enhance it with the regulatories based on on their environment for that uh, specific province. Do you see that there are a lot of variations and differences among the different provinces in Canada? I don't think there's uh, that many differences, uh, although there are some differences. Sometimes you'll get to four or five feet for the depth, for example. There might be some differences in a certain type of equipment that's being used. Uh, it might have to have a specific lockout depending on what the design system is. And that's a requirement we see between different provinces. So the provinces are similar, but there are still plenty of differences in between them. Chris, let me ask you this. What type of differences do you see in the approach to safety training requirements in Canada versus the United States? 
So I would say from my perspective, you know, obviously I'm in the United States. It's pretty standard in that OSHA dictates, hey, the most common things that we would find on our side of the business within excavation standards is typically competent person training and then confined space training and the OSHA uh, 1926 subpart P and all these different things that that construction workers have to abide by or in construction firms. But I, I would say that in having that competent person in the United States where they are the go-to person that's happening there and they're running the situation, I think on the Canadian side, it, it actually gives it a little more ownership where it kind of, Daryl alluded to it previously, you've got the OHS, then you've got the provincial standards, and then you can drop down into site-specific standards. And then even within site-specific, you could have different things that go off into the, the oil sands alliance. You can have things that go off into other less specific things that maybe the oil sands wouldn't have. So what we want to make sure that we do have within the United States and even in for Canada is we want to make sure that competent person is there and that competent supervisor. And we have the right people who are trained and the expertise and what is going on. So I think the safety standards are somewhat similar, but again, kind of going back to OSHA running the United States side of things as the benchmark is we have the benchmark of competent person in confined space uh, training, which is the two main things. And you, of course, you've got OSHA 10 and OSHA 30, but then Canada takes it to a, a whole nother level. So, Daryl, if somebody is working on a specific site, do they need to have specific training not only in the OHS standard, but the provincial standard and the site specific standards as well? Yes. In fact, they get a multitude of certificates that are a prerequisite to get it on any job site. Uh, for example, you may have uh, the, the average construction worker just to get onto one site. There's a bare minimum he'll have to meet the criteria, and that could be five certifications that are done under OHS or on the qualification of meeting OHS standard. And then when he gets to the site, that will include also an orientation, drug and alcohol is required, and then whatever specialty uh, orientation they need. And the orientation can actually take up to two days and they actually get a certificate card and said, hey, now you have this, this is going to be valid for a two-year period. Uh, it expires and it, we even get down to the point where if you don't access that site for 30 days, then you have to do that recertification all over again because it's now expired. And that's a difference in the standard. Chris, do you know if that orientations training, is that similar to like what we would call perhaps an OSHA 10 or an OSHA 30? It could be, but it seems to be within the United States, the bigger the job site, the more restrictions that they have, right? And they have the site-specific trainings, the certifications, the rigging training, the platform training, uh, all these other different things for the, for the, the size and the scope of the job site. Whereas I think on the Dar on Daryl's side within Canada, he's definitely seeing that even for the smaller job sites that were in the United States, you may not even expect that. So it's a little bit more stringent on the requirements to perform your job and your role in Canada. So let me ask you this question too. Now we have here in the United States, we have ANSI, right? In, the, in Canada, they have the CSA, which is the Canadian Standards Association. Is there a difference between the CSA and the Canadian Center for Occupational Safety and Health? I would say that they're very similar, 
But whereas they get into some type of differences is that they're dealing on the CSA side. And I'll give you a, for instance, with a certain product, there are winches that are made for the United States and Canada by a certain vendor. And that vendor will have a CSA version of that winch, let's say. And then they'll also have an ANSI standard, a United States standard. And what is the difference between the items? Well, the difference is the oil that is used for the lubrication factor in the winch is different. And it's just made for a colder climate. So I don't see a ton of differences outside of maybe product-specific differences. But overall, for between ANSI and CSA, I think the umbrella of what they're trying to accomplish is very similar. Chris, what differences do you see with trench and confined space safety equipment used in the United States versus what's being used in Canada? I would say that within Canada, there seems to be a little bit more focus on the fall protection equipment that maybe uh, a customer may purchase or have on site. So when you look at fall protection within the United States, yeah, fall protection is very important. People have to have harnesses and they have to have winches and tripods and all the different things that you would expect going into a confined space or into a hazardous situation. From my experience, the Canadian side takes it one step further, whereas it could be a, a nice add-on within the United States. It seems to be more of a requirement in Canada, meaning that if you have someone going into a, a trench, using a trench box, a standard 8 by 12 steel trench box that goes in the ground, to protect the earth from collapsing on top of a worker. Well, in the United States, you may or may not see uh, a piece of equipment like a David arm, which is used to, for hoisting uh, people and materials and things like that. Whereas Canada, it just seems to be much more prevalent. Whereas I believe their safety personnel are almost calling out saying, great, you're doing the right thing by having a trench box in the ground, which is necessary. But guess what? You're also going to have this specific type of confined space rescue system as well when you rent that trench box or you purchase or you're using that trench box overall. And it just seems to be that those are the those are the biggest things where you will just see more enhanced safety and equipment on sites within Canada uh, as opposed to the U.S. side. Is that because it is regulatory in Canada to have that type of equipment, or is that just a safety culture that just seems to be embedded and ingrained in the contractors who work north of the border? I believe it's twofold. The twofold being OHS has their standards for where they, they say that you must have a, an egress point every so many feet uh, if you're in a confined space, and, and you also have to have a plan of how to get that person out of there. And then when you go to the sites, the safety people that are in charge of these sites or overlook them, they have what's called, in some cases, a safe work practice. And even before you can get onto the site, you have to demonstrate that if you're going to put a trench box in the ground, for example, that you have to demonstrate to them uh, what's your mode of getting that injured person out of there. So in a lot of cases, as Chris alluded to, that's where the, you know, the David arm comes in and the ladders and the winches and all that stuff. And they have to execute that plan. You know, the, the equipment becomes available for them. They may not ever use it, but at least in the same work practice in the minds of the, on the site that they're working on, they now have the productive posture to make that happen in order to rescue a person. 
Daryl, let me ask you this question too then, because I've heard you guys talk about excavations. I've heard you guys talk about confined spaces. Does OHS differentiate or the provincial requirements differentiate a confined space to an excavation? In the United States, excav- excavations are technically exempt from the confined spaces in construction standard. Is that actually the case in Canada as well, or are they kind of synonymous one with the other? Confined space in Canada for OHS is 100% separate and uh, from the trench. And the reason why is they give lots of examples of what is a confined space. Is it four sided in there? Because if you take a trench box, for example, and you have the it's shored back on each end, well then it's not a confined space anymore. Uh, they can still get the people in it. Now it depends on the depth and then uh, the amount of equipment required to do it. And then when you get in a confined space, they go into entry, rebreathers, uh, stuff like that, uh, telling you that it must be monitored at all times, which means you need to have uh, some type of a gas monitor in that ability to do it. So uh, even though they're related, they're much separated in there, and it's clearly stated no H&S for that also. So, Chris, what other kind of differences in equipment do you see other than the fall protection equipment? What kind of safety equipment in general do you see the differences between the United States and Canada? So, for example, uh, one of the things that if I'm looking at my district as a whole between the U.S. and Canada is that we very rarely in the United States, or at least in my portion of the United States, we do not use water tapping boxes, which is basically just like a pre-assembled manhole box that is four-sided and it's got in the industry what they would call dog, doggy doors on there. We just don't we just don't have a need for them. The, for whatever reason, the, the United States customer side of the business doesn't dictate that. But what I will say in Canada, I can't keep enough water tapping boxes on the shelves. And it seems to be something that they they use on a regular basis. On the, on the flip side, is that it doesn't seem like the Canadian, you know, it's maybe not so much a safety related item, but it's something that we have called a bedding box where somebody would put gravel, get that onto a job site. It it can be used for a safety measure so you don't have materials just flowing everywhere, but we don't use those in Canada, but we will use them a lot in the United States. Daryl, what kind of differences do you see as far as the equipment in the regional jurisdictions in Canada? Do you see a lot of differences between what they utilize in eastern Canada versus what you utilize in western Canada? Uh, th- yes, that's correct. Uh, we do see a difference. In fact, we're, we're looking at right now, we have, um, you know, these manhole bracing, for example. Uh, we never had it here last year, and we've had several jobs, and we have one we're currently working on now where the manhole bracing is required, and it's the only really solution, you know, for the customer. For you in Edmonton, which is a little bit further south, the oil sands are, you know, Fort McMurray oil sands are about 500 clicks north of you. What kind of differences do you see in between your own specific jurisdiction? Uh, we see a lot of uh, aluminum-based boxes, so as we say, build a box for up there, 100%. That's what it is, trench boxes. Uh, not required as much because uh, you're talking about utility service infrastructure, a lot overhead existing gas lines, uh, very temperamental and how they have to work. So one of the build a box is very popular is because when they start the excavation, it is 100% being hydrovacked in. If you imagine in a small box, even on a bigger scale, so if you go 20 feet by 20 feet engineered system, they're going to hydrovac that down because 
they typically don't know what, and they don't sure heck don't want to disturb anything with a gas or a live line. And Chris, what kind of regional jurisdictional differences do you see from some of your peers, for example, that might be in different parts of the United States versus what you guys use in the Pacific Northwest? Yes, it, it is different as well because I came from the eastern side of the United States prior to coming out here to the Pacific Northwest. And there's products out uh, on the eastern side where we would use fairly often, such as an aluminum weller system that puts some hydraulic uh, vertical shores on the ends. And it gives you a nice clear span. But here over on the uh, on the western side of the country, not as popular. Whereas here on the west side, we do something called boarded shores in certain markets where vertical shores are attached to pieces of fin board already. And in, in certain pockets, we do have those vertical shores that are attached to it. On the eastern side of the U.S., didn't even know what one existed, didn't even know what one looked like. So even within the United States, there are certain, certainly regional differences. In both countries, I'm sure that there are differences in what you see uh, in more industrial type of uh, you know applications versus just the general construction, right? So new construction versus uh, pre-existing construction. In those differences alone, you probably see a lot of differences, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it just is. There's no cookie cutter uh, formula that we could have for, for, for anything. So we know what the products are out there and we just try to uh, do the best that we can in the regional situation where we're at. We just need a lot of information in order to be able to ascertain what folks need. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So let me ask you this in regards to safety, what do U.S. customers need to know when they're crossing the border to work in Canada? The biggest thing is, on if they're going from the U.S. to Canada, is don't make assumptions. Just because what you've been doing in the United States has worked for 20 or 30 years, and the products that you were have been using for 20 or 30 years in the United States, yes, there's a good chance that those products will be available. And if they're not, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. But don't make the assumptions about you having confined space training uh, or competent person training is going to equate apples to apples in Canada. Just be prepared and do your homework. Let's say, for example, a customer is going from the United States into Canada and they're bringing their own trench box across the border because they have it available. They're going to put it on a freight line or a truck and send it over there to do some work. They better make sure that the tabulated data that they have is stamped for that specific province because in the United States, we have a pretty much a general stamp that if it's tabulated data, it's good throughout the United States. Well, you may bring that box into British Columbia and you may have that, you'll have to get that thing stamped for British Columbia. Let's say two weeks later, you have a job in Alberta and it's not stamped for Alberta. You have to then get that box, boxes tabulated data stamped for Alberta. So each individual province has to have its own individual stamp. So you get a piece of tabulated data from the manufacturer, it could have 15 stamps on it saying that it has been certified for whatever country and whatever province you're bringing it into. And Daryl, what would you want to say to people who are coming across the border and perhaps doing some work up there in Canada? I would say that uh, be prepared to definitely do a few more courses. 
be educated on the ins and outs of what you're using and what your application is. And what I mean by that is if we're, we're talking about the tabulated data for a trench box, you know, make sure you understand it, make sure you know your limitations with it. If it's confined space, let's make sure that you understand how that piece of equipment operates when a warning goes off the literature that goes with it, and more so the literature that's provided with it, you understand it that because if you get asked on a job site, OH&S is going to ask you for certain specific types of uh, certifications and paperwork, i.e. tab data, and there, you want to have it at your fingertips, and you want to be able to speak on behalf of that uh, so that's where it is. I think it's really definitely is going to be increasing the knowledge base of what you already know. This has been Behind the Standards with United Rentals. Now, if you have any questions about this topic or have any suggestions about other topics that you may want to be discussed, feel free to send an email to urtspodcast at ur.com. On behalf of Chris, Daryl, and myself, thanks for listening. Have a great day and stay safe.